fifth lesson from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but, be, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, say a few words about just a couple of these uh, verses. Um, Actually, quote C.S. Lewis a little bit. Maybe uh, some of you are familiar with uh, C.S. Lewis. I think if you're part of uh, Ascension Presbyterian Church, you get him maybe every week quoted in some form or another. Uh, but uh, he's got a book, Surprised by Joy, and he writes of his conversion to the, to the Christian faith in that book. Uh, he spent his youth haunted by joy. It's a big theme through that book, uh, through his uh, conversion experience, joy. Haunted by joy. It was an enormous bliss that haunted him, to quote uh, Milton. It was a bittersweet stab of joy. It was an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Something that makes nonsense of our common distinction between having and wanting. Those are Lewis's words in this book um, about his coming to Christ. So, so he tasted it. He tasted this joy that he was longing for. He tasted it in... Um, in memories, you know, nostalgia, that kind of thing. Uh, he tasted it in Wagner, in good uh, music, in, in vast landscapes. He tasted joy in fairy tales and Norse mythology. Um, and he pursued it. And he sought to manufacture it, this sense of joy. He sought to manufacture it. And whenever he found it, uh, he tried to seize it and capture it and sort of bottle the moment, bottle the joy. He wanted to hold on to it and keep it. But it was always just a fleeting taste that slipped away just as soon as he had found it. Just as soon as joy had lit him up, it was gone again. Uh, he came to realize that the thrill, the joy that he pursued, was not so much a thing in itself. That's what he came to realize. It was not so much a thing in itself as it was an effect of something else. Something else in his life, something else capturing his imagination or his interest. And so he says, only when your whole attention and desire are fixed on something else, whether a distant mountain or the past or the gods of Asgard, does the thrill arise. When, you're, when your attention is fixed on something else, then, then you get the joy. It's a byproduct. Its very existence presupposes that you desire not it, but something outer and other. And the joy disappears the moment that you turn from the other, from that something else, 
to the joy itself in order to grasp it. It just slips away. So ultimately, Lewis discovered that he didn't want joy, per se, not joy in and of itself. That's not what he was looking for, not really, but that the joy that he thought he wanted, that he had pursued for so many years in his life, the joy that he thought he wanted was itself the desire for God. The desire for God. That's what he was really wanting. He really wanted God. And so he said, it was valuable, speaking of the joy, only as a pointer, only as a pointer to something other and outer. And so it took for him a paradigm shift, a complete change in his perspective, finally to, to look away from that pointer, from the joy, from the thrill, from that, that sweet stab of joy that he'd longed for his whole life. It took a paradigm shift to, to look away from that pointer to the thing to which it pointed. And, uh, and so Lewis found God. That's a super short version of his uh, conversion experience that he, he writes in uh, Surprised by Joy. And he knew... I mean, I say he found God. He knew that, in fact, God was the one who had led him to this discovery. God had brought him to that moment where he found God. Actually, God was the one who found him, right? And so, uh, so we need the same paradigm shift when we consider Christmas um, because I think it's a pretty common experience for all of us. We want our feelings stirred. Maybe you had family gatherings tonight. Maybe you have family gatherings tomorrow. Maybe you have these uh, magical pictures of uh, family gatherings from uh, growing up as a child. We almost want a magical sense of belonging and warmth, sparkling delights and feasting and merriment and, and lights pushing back the darkness. We want the perfect sense of home. I mean, don't we? We want the perfect sense of home. Our longing can be nostalgic. I mean, if you had something of this when you were a kid growing up, it can be nostalgic. But it often reflects more of our imagination than it does our experience or our memory. Usually, the actual experience of things falls a bit flat. Right? So, <clears throat> so it's kind of like homesickness for a home that we've never been to. Uh, that's a real thing. So we decorate and we prepare and we try to create an atmosphere where these feelings might possibly come true. And if they ever do come true, just for the, the blink of an eye, we try to bottle it, try to keep it, capture it, if we can. Uh, but, but this longing, this longing for the perfect sense of home is characterized by the deep sense that we actually don't have what it is we're looking for. We actually don't have it. That's what that longing usually feels like. We're trying to create something that we don't have. We're trying to attain something or reach and seize and capture something that we don't really have. So we long for the home that we lack. And here's the change in perspective that we need. The real force of Christmas is that our longings, our desires for this home that we've never been to, they no longer tell us what we lack. They tell us what we have. They tell us what we have in Jesus Christ. That's the point of Christmas. He is the word of God, as that Last lesson says from John 1, he's the word of God who stands at the beginning of all things and he stands at the end of all things. And he's the word who doesn't just stand aloof, doesn't stand apart. He's the word who came. He's the word who came to us because he wanted to. In him, God speaks to us. And his message is peace and it's belonging and it's joy. His message is home. Our longings for these things 
are a pointer to something other and outer. And that other, that something else, that outer, is, is Jesus Christ, and he has come. We have him because of Christmas, because he came and he gave himself to us, so we have him. It's not something we lack, that we long for. We long for the one that, that has given himself to us. It says in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 14 of John's Gospel, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the desire of nations, maybe you're thinking of the song, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Yesu, joy of man's desiring. He's, he's the desire of nations. He's the one that we're all longing for. That If there's any joy, it's because of him. And he has come. He's already come. Because of the incarnation of the Son of God, because of God, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, uh, becoming flesh, becoming a human being, because of his initiative to invade this world, not just leave it in its own darkness, but to invade it with his light and to invade your life with his grace. Because of him... When you consider Christmas, you may, you're invited to, actually maybe you're commanded to, you, you may indeed consider all of your deepest longings already met and guaranteed in him because of who he is. When you decorate with lights, you can celebrate the light of the world who already shines in the darkness. When you gather around the tree, you can thank the Lord who's already granted you eternal evergreen life because he loves you. He gave it to you as a gift. When you give gifts, you can remember God who has already opened his treasures and given you the most precious of all of them. He gave, gave his son. When you feast together, you can be satisfied by not just the great meal that you might be sharing with your family. You can be, you can be satisfied with the bread of life through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can enjoy the company of God and the company of each other as just a little foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth when you see Jesus face to face. At any moment, not just Christmas time, not just when things are supposed to be magical, but at any moment, you can rest and delight in knowing that you already have a true home. You have a true home that's everlasting in the heavens. It's prepared by Jesus with God as your Father and all the saints as your brothers and sisters. These things are all true whether you have an earthly home or not, whether you have an earthly family or an earthly feast to go to tonight or tomorrow. Christmas means, in spite of all things seemingly to the contrary, because of Jesus, home and heaven have already come to you. Amen.